All of us want to be the best version of ourselves, but often things get in the way. We can get in our own way. Knowing what our best looks like is one of the biggest struggles of being the best of you. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. I know uh, some of you are so excited. It's the new year. You love the new year because you uh, love making resolutions and goals. You love thinking of your word for the year. And so you are like just pumped. Like it's the new year, the new you. Some of you, you've already decided 2024 is actually going to be your year. Like some of you, you've already given up on your resolutions. You've already said, you know what? Like I came up with a word for the year. I didn't like it. We're done with it. Like, and some of us just give up. But no matter where you stand on that, no matter how you think about the new year, when it comes to decisions, when it comes to the things that we go after, all of those things are to be the best of you. It's why we make every decision. It's why we do anything in life. It's why we take any job. It's why we major in whatever we major in in school. It's why we have the friendships that we have. It's why some of the friendships we have have ended because we want to be the best version of ourselves. Every goal you make. Nobody ever thinks at the end of, you know, December, you know, how do I be the worst of me? We don't think like that. We think, how can I be the best of me? How do I be the best version? But what is the best version of you? So we don't often ask that question. We just think, wouldn't it be great if I was skinnier? Wouldn't it be great if I had more hair? Wouldn't it be great if I had more time for friends? Wouldn't it be great if I was more patient? Like, but what is the best version of you? And so as we start this new year, we're starting a new series called The Best of You, and we're gonna spend several weeks just looking at what is it that is actually the best version of you? And we're gonna see that the best version of you and the best version of me is often not the first thing that we think of. But as well as we're gonna see today, the best version of you is actually on the other side of a really difficult road. Now, we know this is true, and we really don't like that it's true, okay? We know that the most growth in our life happens through hard, hard situations. Hard seasons lead to the greatest growth and opportunities of our lives, and yet, we do everything in our power to avoid discomfort. We do everything in our power to avoid trials. We do everything in our power to avoid pain, except on the other side of that is often the life that we want. I mean, think about it like this. One of, um, whenever we watch sports, whether it's you know, the Olympics or the NFL or college football, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, one of the things my wife loves are the stories. She loves the stories, you know, when they do the videos and they go into Russia and they follow this person who gets up at 4 a.m., you know, when the sun doesn't come out and, you know, they follow how many laps, you know, Michael Phelps swam, you know, before the sun came up and how much he eats and, and, and all of these stories, right? Do you know what they all have in common? All of them are filled with difficulty. They're all filled with challenges. And they're all filled with stories of people who didn't rise to the challenge. Right? The problem is, as John Maxwell says, that most people, most of us, have uphill dreams, but downhill habits. Most of us have uphill dreams. Most of us want to be at the top of the mountain. But most of us then stand at the bottom and look up and go, wouldn't it be great? But we're not actually willing to start. We're not willing to walk up to the top and live the hard road. And this is true in your marriage. Some of us have uphill dreams for our marriage, but we're not willing to do the habits. 
Some of us have uphill dreams for our career, but we're not willing to do the habits. Same thing with school. Some of us have uphill dreams for our faith, but we're not actually willing to start. We're not actually willing to follow through. And we're not actually willing to take all the steps that God puts in front of us. And you might be wondering, okay, so how do I know what the best version of me is? Because here's the thing, you could get all the goals that you have for your life and still not be the best version of you. You could get every goal that you set out for 2023 and still not be the best of you. And in one of my favorite books of the Bible, the writer James actually lays out how to be the best of you. Now, James is a tiny, tiny book towards the end of the New Testament. It's really similar to the book of Proverbs, has tons of little sayings in it. James actually covers about 16 different topics that we're gonna look at over the coming weeks to see how to be the best of you. And here's the thing that's really interesting about James. Of all the topics that he talks about, setting goals, decision-making, how to handle finances, what authentic faith looks like, you know, can you earn your way to heaven or does your faith take you to heaven? We're gonna look at that in a couple of weeks. But of all the topics that he talks about, he talks about two topics twice. One is prayer. The other one is suffering. Now, what does suffering have to do with the best of you? Actually, it has a lot to do with the best of you. This is what James says in chapter one, verse one. He says, James, he identifies himself as servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. Now, each New Testament letter is written to somebody, from somebody, and who those people are matters to the content of the letter. Now, James identifies who he's writing to. He's writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish Christians that are dispersed around the empire. Now, why are they dispersed? They're dispersed because of the persecution that they experienced in Jerusalem. And so they dispersed out throughout the empire. They are in the midst of suffering. Some of them have watched family members and friends die because of their faith. Some of them left the only place they ever knew because of their faith. They're in this place of suffering. And James writes them this letter. Now, if you don't know who James is, James is a fascinating person in the New Testament for a couple of reasons. One, he was the brother of Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting about James. In the Gospels, we're told that Jesus' family didn't believe that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. So somewhere between the Gospels of Jesus' life and his death and resurrection, and somewhere between there and writing the book of James, James begins following after Jesus. Now, what would it take for your sibling to convince you they were the Son of God? Now, here's the thing. Here's what James' story tells us. Some of us, some of you, we have friends, we have family, we have parents, in-laws, kids, coworkers, people that we long for them to become followers of Jesus. See, the story of James' life tells us that that hope never runs out. See, somewhere between James growing up with Jesus and saying, there's no way my brother is the Messiah, and after Jesus' resurrection, James shows us the transformation that the gospel brings. Now, James goes on to lead the church in Jerusalem, which is the largest and most influential church in the New Testament. Now, notice what is not in his introduction. He doesn't say, hey, I'm James. I lead the biggest church known in the world. I have the biggest platform. Oh, and also, I'm related to Jesus. 
I mean, that would be a great way to start a letter. I mean, that's, that feels like an Instagram bio right there. You know, click on my links and, and learn all about it. Get my free PDF. Like, I mean, but he doesn't do any of that. What does he say? I'm a servant. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine saying that. Imagine the humility to say, I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, my older brother. So that is his influence. His influence is based solely on what God has done in him. Look at verse two then. He jumps right into the heart of his letter. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. See, as I mentioned, one of the biggest topics in James, he starts with it and he ends with it, is suffering, is trials. Because pain, trials, and suffering are an enormous part of our lives. You can't escape them. We can run from them, we can do our best, and one of the things that I appreciate about scripture is that the Bible does not minimize our pain and our suffering and our trials. It doesn't explain them away. It doesn't say, well, just grin and just try to bear through it and just try to get through it. No, it enters into the pain and the hurt and the heartache that we carry. And trials and suffering, the reason they're so important and such a big part of our lives is because they're always specific. They're never general. Like no one kind of suffers, right? You've never said to somebody, hey, how are, the, how are you doing? Like, how are, how are things going? And they've never said, you know what? I'm kind of suffering. No, trials are specific, which is why they hurt. And James says, whenever you experience various trials, he makes it all encompassing. Like whenever, like it could happen at any moment. It could last however long and you have no idea. And it could be a variety of things. But what is a trial? Because this is really important. This is the theme of this whole passage. What is a trial? I mean, here are a few trials. One, you're depressed and you can't see a way out of your despair. Another one is you, you, feel, you find yourself just constantly anxious, always thinking about worst case scenarios and just struggling to feel peace and to find peace. That's a trial. Some of us live in constant pain, emotional pain, and you wonder how much longer can I live in this? This is a trial. Some of you, you're heartbroken because of broken relationships. You're heartbroken because of miscarriages and, and this longing to be a parent. Some of you find yourself just being alone and you wanna be with somebody else and that's a trial. Some of you find yourself walking through an addiction that you cannot feel or find a way out of. Some of you have friends and family who are just struggling at the bottom of an addiction and you wonder how long am I gonna have to walk with them? How long is this gonna happen? Some of you were physically or sexually abused as a child and that memory, just you carry it with you and it just haunts you. Some of you, your life did not turn out how you expected. Your marriage didn't turn out the way you expected. Parenting didn't turn out the way you expected. Your career didn't turn out the way you expected. Some of us over the last several years have lost friends and family, people who are close to us. And the grief is just overwhelming. Some of you just really, really just don't like the things in your life. You don't like the people in your life. You don't like where you live. Those are all trials. Trials are difficulties. Trials are unexpected things. 
I mean, and James knew about trials. I mean, imagine, imagine being the brother of Jesus. Like some of you, I know you're, you're the favorite child. Some of you are the sibling to the favorite child. I mean, imagine growing up in, in, in Jesus and James's household. Imagine having a sibling who is the perfect child who never sins. Like, I wonder if his parents ever looked at James and just said, James, like, just pull out your WWJD bracelet. Like, just, what would Jesus do, James? Come on, what would he do? And then just do that, James. But some of us, that, this is a trial that some of us have experienced, that you feel this way because you've had a parent say to you, why can't you just be like this person? You've internalized that message. See, we never come to our trials and suffering empty-handed. We bring with us our stories. Some of us think trials come upon us. This is one false thinking. We think trials come upon us as punishment from God. We think that somehow like, oh, that thing that I did in fourth grade, like that's coming back to haunt me now. That's not, that's not true. And so we hold on to that. Some of us, and this is me, when trials hit me, I think for me personally, one of my biggest struggles with trials is I think I deserve God's blessings. I think I deserve God's blessings. But then when trials come, I don't think I deserve God's trials. And some of us, that's our problem. We think, I deserve God's blessings. I'm a good person. I did this. How come this is happening? And we question God in the midst of trials. But James says to consider it a great joy when you experience trials. So that means a couple of things. One, when trials come our way, we are to be joyful. But if we are to consider it a great joy, what James is telling us is it's actually a choice how we enter into the trial and experience it. It is a choice how we handle it. We can choose to be joyful. See, joyful and happiness are not the same things. Happiness is totally based on experiences. It is based on our circumstances. It ebbs and flows throughout the day, but joy is a choice that we enter into. So James says, when we experience trials, you get to choose joy or you get to choose any other emotion with it. You get to choose how you enter into it. And joy, as you know, joy is a battle you fight for. Joy is not something that just comes easily. But James rests in this, in, this, in this truth that trials have a point. So what is the point of trials? He tells us in verse three. This is really important. He says, we consider it a great joy whenever we experience various trials because we know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let its endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what do trials do? I mean, this is the heart of it. What do they do? What's the point of it? Like, does, God, does God send them? Does God just allow them? James tells us, you know that the testing of your faith, because trials test your faith, right? You, you know this. If you're a parent, you've looked at your kids and you're like, you're testing my faith right now. You've probably looked at a friend or a boss or a spouse at some point and said, you are testing my faith. There's a situation that you're maybe in the midst of right now and you're thinking, God, you are testing my faith right now. See, we're told in scripture that God does allow and sends tests to us. And tests and temptation, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, are not the same thing. But James tells us 
that when we experience trials, if they have their full effect, they lead us to a place of being mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Another word for mature is perfect. Another word for complete is wholeness. So when we're walking through a trial, what James is saying is we are lacking something somewhere that only a trial can bring about. And this is, this is a shift for many of us because we think that trials are simply a punishment, God out to get us, or, or God forgot about us, or repayment for something. But James says, no, the point of trials are to get you to the place that God wants you to be. But he says to get there, it tests your endurance. It builds your endurance. Another translation say perseverance. It gives us this picture of, of someone carrying something heavy, of, of moving forward in difficulty, right? How do you build endurance? You build endurance by doing what? The same things again and again. How do you build endurance to run a marathon? You don't wake up and go, you know what? I'm gonna run a marathon this coming Saturday. No, you build endurance to build up. You don't just go, you know what? Today's gonna be the day that I'm gonna deadlift 500 pounds. I'm just gonna walk up to the bar and just pick it up. I've never lifted weights before in my life. What's gonna happen? You're gonna throw your back out, okay? How do you build endurance? You build endurance by continuing to move forward. Now, do you build endurance and think, I love that I'm building endurance right now? No, have you ever watched people who run? Like every time I drive by someone who's running down the road, I think they look like they're in pain. Like, that doesn't look fun at all, right? When I go to the gym and I'm lifting and like when you lift really heavy weights, I mean, everybody, look, I mean, their veins are popping out and you just think they look like they're gonna die. But it's building endurance. Some of us, our faith journeys right now don't look like that. See, for us, we want our faith journeys, we want our life to just be filled with roses, a really easy paved path. And James says, if you want to get to the place that God wants you to be, it will take endurance. And endurance is not easy. Endurance is not simple. Endurance does not happen overnight. For some of us, when we think, man, I wanna be so much further in my faith journey, why can't, I, why, am I, why can't I move forward and be more mature? Because it takes time. It takes time to become the person that God has called and created you to be. That's not an overnight process. But we have this idea in our culture because we just see all these like overnight successes that we're like, oh, that's gotta be it. But no, endurance is just one after another, after another, and it's hard and it's heavy and it's built over time. But where does it take us? He tells us endurance, when it reaches its fullness, takes us to being mature, complete, and lacking nothing. The end of verse four is the whole key to the book of James, okay? The whole point of the book of James is to show us what it means to be mature, complete and lacking nothing. And this is why you and I make every single decision we make in our lives. Every decision we make is to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Everything. Every decision to go to the school we go to, the job that we take, the friends that we have, the person we marry, everything is to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. That's what we're looking for. In every decision, every resolution you make, every goal you have, you're thinking, if I get this, that'll be enough. I mean, how many of us have talked to people and said, if I just get this one promotion, like that'll be enough for me. If I make this much, that'll be enough for me. If I get this dream kitchen or this dream backyard, that'll be enough for me. If I get this second home, that'll be enough for me. If my kids could just not like wreck their life, that would be enough for me. 
We have said so many different times, if I get this, that'll be enough. What is that? That's completeness. I mean, think about marriage. What do we do when we look for love? Looking for someone to complete me. Completeness, wholeness, lacking nothing. That's why we do everything in our lives. And James says, the whole point of his letter is to show us what this looks like. Now, what does he tell us to get there? Trials. Now, some of us, we read through this verse and we go, you know what, I really want to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing, but I really just don't want trials. And James says, well, you'll never be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Yeah, but is there another way? No. No. But every decision we make is to get this. This is why we go after everything. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that the road to the life we want is often through pain and difficulty. The road to the life we want is often through pain and difficulty. Now, I want you to think for a moment, think back to a trial that you've walked through, maybe not the one you're walking through right now, but a previous one. So I think sometimes for me, it helps me to look back to see what God did in previous trials because I can have a little bit more perspective on it. And when you look back, you start to see some of the things that God is doing in that trial. You start to see how God's hand was actually present in the midst of that trial, even though you didn't see it while you were walking through it. See, because while we're in a trial, one of the things that's hard is it's hard to have perspective. We can have perspective on other people's trials, right? I mean, somebody can tell you about a trial they're walking through and you can tell them the three reasons why it's happening. You're like, I don't understand why you don't see this. This is so obvious to me. We are the same way. I'm the same way. So it helps us to look back and see, okay, this is what God was doing in the midst of this. And here's the other thing that we start to see. We start to see how God is building our endurance. And don't miss this. this is, I don't know if this is true for you, but it's true for me. My trials tend to be around the same things because we all struggle with different things. We all struggle with different things and God continues to move us forward. And if you check your next step email box, we're gonna send to you tomorrow just some things that, from scripture to show us why trials happen, what God is doing in the midst of trials. But here's a couple reasons of what God is doing in the midst of a trial that maybe you can see for yourself. The first thing that God is doing in a trial, the first thing a trial does is the trial tests the strength of our faith. See, a trial tests the strength of our faith. It doesn't determine if a person has faith. It just strengthens the faith that is already present. See, it's easy to follow God when life is easy and blessings are just flowing, but our faith is tested and refined in the difficulties of life. The second thing a trial does is it reveals what we love. See, trials have a way of exposing what is in us and the things we're drawn to. And the last thing that a trial does is it focuses on eternity and our hope in heaven. See, we don't spend a lot of time thinking uh, about heaven and eternity, but we do in the midst of a trial. We do in a doctor's office. We do when life feels really, really dark. And trials have a way of reminding us that what we're walking through does end and this life isn't all that there is. But what about the trial you're walking through right now? How do you consider it a great joy? Not just joy, a great joy. A lot of that has to do with saying, God, help me to see how this gets me to where you want me to be. See, maybe for you, your trial right now is a recent job loss. It may be the death of a close family member or a friend. It might be a child 
that you don't have a relationship with anymore or a child that is just so far from God and it just breaks your heart. Maybe for you, your trials that you're just living in constant pain and, and just, and you don't know how long it's gonna last, emotionally, physically, mentally. It might be an addiction that you can't shake. It might be an addiction that somebody else can't shake. See, as I thought this week, I was trying to think through just different trials that I've walked through. And the one that I'm walking through right now, for me, is parenting. And probably not in the way that you're thinking. But for me right now, one of the things that I'm seeing in my own life is, and you might think, well, Josh, that, that doesn't feel like a hard trial at all. Like my trial is way harder. And it might be. But trials are personal to each one of us. And here's one of the things that's happening in my life right now that God's doing. I was telling our, our teaching team this past week at our run through, I said, you know, right now, um, my kids, God is using them to show me a whole bunch of things in my own heart and life that I have to deal with that I really just don't want to deal with. Like my kids are showing me how much of a control freak and how prideful I actually am, which feels a little embarrassing to like admit from stage, but like we're all friends here. And, but here's what I've started to realize in my life of faith as I've looked at my own trials in my, in my life is that I cannot become the person that God wants me to become until I face all the things that I need to face. And what's happening is right now in my closest relationships is that God is starting to bring up things in my story and in my life that I've tried to forget or pretend didn't happen, things that I would like to act like I didn't actually walk through. And yet the people closest to me, God's using them to say, no, no, like that's actually something you have to grieve. You actually have to face that. You actually have to deal with that. And for, for me personally, part of it is I, I'm a little frustrated that I'm not further along in some of those things. I just think, man, like, didn't I learn this already? But then there's another part of me that's, that's really frustrated that I can't just be a prideful control freak. <laughs> that's a little frustrating. But I have a mentor that, that loves to say, and I hate this quote, but it's absolutely true. He says, God places the people in your life to bring about the transformation he desires. Now, some of you, you're thinking, I really just want to look at the person next to me because that's why God put them in my life. But what if the things, the people, the situations in your life are there to bring about the transformation that God desires? See, James tells us that that's true. James tells us that we can't get to the place of being perfect, mature, complete, whole, and lacking nothing without trials. Now, is there a specific, here's one of the things we struggle with with trials. We want like a specific, like, okay, God, what is the specific thing that you're doing? The Bible doesn't promise us that God will always answer the like one specific thing that he's doing. But here's the thing that I've learned. And if you look back over your life and you start to see some of the things, I love what Tim Keller says. If you can see some of the things that God was doing in your past, might he also be doing something in your present? But what we can be assured of is that God allows and sends trials to us so we can be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. Now, are our trials easy? No, that's why they're called trials. That's why they're called trials. But we are told 
especially in 1 Peter, that our trials have an end date. They don't last forever. How we walk through them is a choice that we face. That God's not surprised by them. The trial you're facing right now, God's not surprised at. He was not caught off by, caught off guard by, even if you were. And we are also told that God is with us. See, here's James, the brother of Jesus, who for the first half of his life did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God or the Messiah. And then he watched his brother be crucified and rise from the dead and said, that's the hope. That's the hope. And that's the hope that we cling to in the midst of trials. See, the question for us is, do we actually want to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing? Because if we do, then it will often take us on a road we wouldn't choose. And so as we close, as we launch this series, you might be thinking, man, like I, I was like the best of you. I thought I was gonna be like really positive, like this, where, you know, this feels kind of downer. I think that James, he could have started with any number of things in his book. And he could have talked about any number of topics twice in his book. And when we get to chapter five again, we're gonna talk about suffering again. Why? Because suffering and pain and trials is a massive part of the Christian life. It is inescapable. But what we cling to and what we hope in is that the savior that we follow who rescued us, the son of God, Jesus, suffered, had friends betray him, was tempted and yet did not sin in all of that. And we look to him because he is the perfecter of our faith. And so even if you're in this place right now, because maybe you're in this place where you just think, I do not have the energy to make it through. My endurance feels like it is running out. I'm just tired. Because some of us feel that way, we just feel tired. And we look to Jesus, we cling to Jesus. And maybe for you, you just need to say, God, help me. Help me to just put one foot in front of the other right now. Help me to have the strength to face what I'm facing. Some of us, we need to ask God to, to help us to trust him, that he's good in the midst of a trial. If your trial's relational like mine is right now, some of you just need to say, God, help me to trust that like I'm actually supposed to have these people in my life. This is a good thing. But we know and we cling to that our trials are not wasted because we become the people that God has called us and created us to be on the other side of trials. Why is that? I don't know why God allows that. I don't know why that's part of his plan. I, I don't know. I have a really good plan, eh? That's not it. And yet I trust, and you trust. And so we're gonna sing a song as we close, and maybe for you, you just need to sit there and just listen to the song. But it's a song that reminds us 
about how God heals the broken places, about how God is with us in the darkness, how God brings just a little touch of heaven when we can't always see it. And so maybe for you, you just need to sit here and just listen and just let these words wash over you. Maybe for you, you need to sing this song and just say, God, help me to believe that this is true. Help me to trust that this is true. Help me to trust that you are weaving things together, that you are healing, and that you are in that place of darkness. And after the end of this song, we're gonna have some of our prayer team up front here to pray with you, because I know that the many of us right now, we are walking through things that are very dark and really hard. And so we wanna make sure that we have opportunity to just come alongside of you and pray with you. And so I'm gonna pray, and then we're just gonna... We're just gonna respond together however we need to with this song. So God, I thank you that the things that we are walking through right now, you are not surprised by, you are not caught off guard by. I know I have been challenged over this past week of just asking, do I really, really want to be mature, complete, and lacking nothing? And often my answer is, if it is easy. So God, I know that, that many of us are walking through heartache. We're walking through loss and grief. And, and many of us, most of us, if not all of us, will, will one day enter into your presence in heaven and not know why everything happened. And yet, in that moment, we know that you will reveal why everything happened. And so we know that trials make us long for that day. That day of clarity, that day of wholeness and completeness where heartache and death and pain and grief and betrayal are no more. And so God, I pray that you would, even in this moment as we sing this song, for those of us who just have broken places that need to be mended. Remind us that you are with us. For those of us who need answers right now, remind us that you are with us. And for those of us who need hope right now, God, I pray that you would just remind us that you are with us and you are the God of hope and healing.